From the greenhouse, it's the Adam Ragusea podcast, episode 79, and now for the first time in a while, it is time to Ask Adam. Lauren is here with your first question. Is rinsing your fruit in water enough to make it safe to eat? Fruit, produce, vegetables, anything, you know, stuff that comes from the ground or ground adjacent, leafery, right? How do we render it safe for consumption? So big question, but also one with like a really, really simple answer that you can glean from the internet. And I think it's important to not only talk about the answer, but also talk about how you can glean it. So for really common public health questions like that, there exists a really clear um, consensus of mainstream scholars that will be represented in statements that are provided by sources like major government health departments, like your EU health departments or the FDA in the United States, for example. And those position papers will be represented in things that do tend to be kind of top Google searches, either from the source directly or more commonly from like a secondary source that has just paid for a lot of Google magic to make sure that their thing comes up first. But really what it is, is it's a quote unquote interview with an FDA official who's giving the mainstream you know, standard scholarly view on this very common public health question. Is that mainstream view necessarily correct? There's no way for anyone to know that, much less idiots like us. However, what we do know is that it's like, there's no, there's no real, we have no re, people like you and I have no logical reason to think that there's any better wisdom available on this particular point. Sound good? Do you think I've like set up that ball enough to actually like take a swing at it now? Sure. Thanks. You're the best. I, I feel like this is weird because you're looking at the camera and I'm looking at you. It's it's <laughs> podcast first and foremost, okay? This okay. is all right, so you make <laughs> it you make it sound good, okay? The video is just for the people who insist on doing the video thing and and enjoy the program on home video where they okay. can see that I am framing my emotional support fish over my <laughs> shoulder. Okay. So when I ask you the other questions, are yeah. you going to look at me? Are you going to talk to me? Dude, I think just like, it's like we're talking on the phone, you know? Think about it that way, right? We've done that before. We've been together many years. <laughs> we used to talk on the phone all the time. I just feel weird. <laughs> no. there's, a, there's never been a camera on me when we talk on the phone. Dude, you just just chill out. You put your eyeline anywhere you want to put it, but okay. focus on the pod, okay? okay? Pod is what we make. Pod is what we're here to sell. It's almost but like I'm new here. <laughs> help me spin pod. Okay, okay. Now take a swing. Okay, so the mainstream view on this question is just use water and just use plain like room temperature, coolish, warmish, whatever. Normal, comfortable temperature water is by far the best thing to do for cleaning produce so just for rinse, human consumption. Rinse just under the tap. Rinse and scrub if necessary. Have some kind of reasonably gentle scrubby for getting stuff off, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that and water is the way to go for sure. That is clearly what like everyone who knows what they're talking about and is not trying to sell a product will say. So like when I'm doing an apple, if I rinse the apple under the tap and then I dry it off on a towel, 
Are we good? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that might lead one to question, well, if that's what the smarty pants is to say, then does that mean that soap is BS? You know, does that mean that um, non-soap-based cleaners, like enzymatic-type cleaners... Veggie wash. Um, veggie wash, whatever, does that mean all of that is BS? And the answer is no, not necessarily, right? Or not in theory, but potentially, yeah, in practice, okay? Mm -hmm. Soap actually does a whole lot to... Um, to both uh, sort of release sticky things to, to get residues off of stuff that you're planning to eat. It does a lot to do that, and it does a lot to also disrupt pathogenic microorganisms on the microbiological level, bursting their cell membranes and such, right? Mm. Um, so soap does a lot of valuable things, for sure. No one questions that, and I'm sure these, like, you know, green enzymatic more based products, I'm sure they have studies showing that their products do the same thing. Maybe not quite as well, but, you know, whatever. It's natural. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but the reason that the smarty pants say just use water is, uh, is that it's important to remember that with, um, you know, uh, foodborne infections, and, and really all kinds of infections. We got to remember that like the dose matters. Mm -hmm. Dose matters a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not just like, oh, you get exposed to, you know, one molecule of this one pathogenic microorganism and, oh, you're, you're going to be sick in the bathroom for the next week. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily how it works. Dosage really matters. And mm -hmm. so, how that factors into cleaning is that it tells us that like what we need to do is do just like the gross work, mm -hmm. get the crud off, right? Mm -hmm. The slime, you know, the the the, the, the residue, actual dirt. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because like listeria lives in dirt, and so you want to remove the dirt from right. your fruits and vegetables. Right. Yeah, and <laughs> um, uh, a lot of other things like um, a lot of the the kind of animal poop mm -hmm. pathogens. Um, those ones that uh, unfortunately nowadays there's a lot of documented cases of people getting those from produce even if you're a vegetarian you know even mm -hmm. if you're only eating fresh melons or whatever you're getting these salmonella or, 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 or E. coli those kinds of infections because unfortunately a lot of water from animal agriculture is running off onto other crops and, and they get contaminated. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is, is legitimate and something that people really do need to, to worry about, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the way that you can be most uh, best suited to best situated to get that off of your melon is to just scrub at it, mm -hmm. right? Get the crud off. Mm -hmm. Just whatever is on the surface, water is this incredible solvent, the universal solvent. It, it's going to get so, it's going to dissolve so much stuff that's stuck to that top layer of that melon, you know? So just scrub at it with mm. water, right? And that's, that's, that's what you can do to best protect yourself. It's not that soap wouldn't assist that, it actually would. But there's two problems with soap. One, um, soap is uh, a, a digestive irritant. Mm -hmm. And if there's any kind of soap residue on your food at all, it's, it's going to not feel good in your tummy mm -hmm. and could potentially be, you know, especially in you know, a really extreme case involving a kid or something, it mm -hmm. could be dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. um, and unlike um, when you're washing your hands with soap, it's hard to really know 
when you have really cleared the soapy residue off of an object mm-hmm. that, that isn't a part of you. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Right. And indeed, th- they know from research that one of the reasons why washing your hands with soap is so good and so effective mm-hmm. is that it puts a residue on your hands that you then must get off mm-hmm. through agitation, right? Through like scrubbing. Right. And it encourages you to do what really does the thing that's most effective to cleaning you off is just scrubbing the stuff off under the universal solvent water. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Right? So, so that is what hel- helps you best, okay? Um, so yes, soap actually could help all kinds of things, but there's A, a risk that you're going to have a residue because you don't have nerve endings in your eggplant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, that was not, uh, given the connotation <laughs> the eggplant has acquired in recent years, that was a really poor choice on my part. <laughs> um, you you know, said it, it's done. I gotta, I, okay, I got to go with eggplant, okay? You got to dance with the one that brung you. <laughs> we, we've, we came here with eggplant emoji. <laughs> So you don't have nerve endings in your eggplant, so you're not probably going to know if you have scrubbed clean the uh, soap residue from your eggplant. So that's one reason to not use soap. The other reason is that um, they know from research, like doing experimental things with experiment groups, right, Um, uh, is they know that when people are washing their produce with anything other than plain water, Mm. soap, um, some special gr- green product, what have you, some solution that they've paid some amount of money for mm-hmm. or ex- you know, exerted some amount of effort to acquire, right? Mm-hmm. Anytime they do that, they scrub less. Oh, interesting. Because? They trust the soap will do the job for them? Also, they don't want to waste it. Uh, See what I'm talking about? Yeah. Because yeah. they're, they're, they're thinking about conserving what's in the bottle, Right. They're thinking about conserving what's in the bottle instead of doing what they really need to do, which is just go gung-ho in scrubbing down the surface of that melon, which really could have some gross and dangerous stuff on it. So you put all of that together and like the public health community is like really unanimous that the best thing is to just use water because A, water is really effective and B, using water will encourage you to do the thing that you should do, which is just don't worry about how much you're using, just scrub it down a lot and get off the crud because the dose really matters. And that is the answer. Was that, was that succinct? I feel like I did a good job. Yeah. Dude. Okay, now you have to talk to me instead of the camera. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> it just feels so weird. Dude, see, it's, you got to think about it. It's like, it's like there's you over here, and uh-huh. then there's our friends up here. Yeah. And I go from one eye line to the other. That's fine. Because there's you, and there's our friends. Okay. There's you, and there's our friends. I don't know if I'm going to have the energy to like do the funny edit that you would obviously do here. Because <laughs> one reason I should say that Lauren is here doing some fun Ask Adam stuff with us because, as, as people know, I've been having sort of, I don't know, sort of a difficult time lately. And I had a really sort of difficult, oh, just, a, just a busy week because we had to do a trip that was very heavy on dad duties for me. <laughs> um, I had a very heavy dad duty week. And I am just like hanging by a thread in terms of my ability to do like work. Um, so You're very tired. I'm very, very tired. So Lauren has kindly uh, compiled some really unchallenging questions yes 
right? I swear to God, I'm like, I'm all about like subjecting myself to your scrutiny, dear viewer and listener, but like just not tonight. Like, <laughs> I can't do it tonight. All right, hit me. Since you went to school for music, is there a not so well known composer that you particularly enjoy and can recommend? Wow, sure. Um, I guess there's a lot, um, but the first person that comes to mind, especially if I'm t speaking to someone who is outside the United States, or really actually someone who's inside the United States to learn more about your own history, is sort of like a really great early American composer um, and a general just kind of crackpot named Charles Ives who if you know if you took any kind of like music history class in college that got into the 20th century you probably did like you know ha half a day's less lesson on Charles Ives probably had two questions on an exam about Charles Ives but he was this you know sort of kind of kooky 19th century northeast american gentleman um, who was an insurance company executive and a very successful one in Connecticut like um like made a lot of bank during the day. I don't know who Charles uh, Ives is, so you can talk to me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back and forth between the two eyelines. <laughs> uh, but we are prioritize our friends because they're like, you know, we're doing this for them at the end of the day, aren't we, honey? Okay. Like, I'm going to check I'm going to check the Eagles Jets score then. <laughs> dude, it's okay. I will I, I'm going to I will do some basic editing so that you're not on camera the entire time. Oh, okay. Okay. You know, I'm prattling on and cool. on. Cool. That's okay. good. That's good. But now I, it's hard to do my like listen, active listening face to somebody who's not looking at me. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is so funny. Also, hey. we forgot to turn off the heater. Oh, dude, that's hilarious. You Actually, mean? you know what? I think it's going to sound fine. Okay. So I'm ru I am running a heater in the greenhouse. And honestly, let's let this be the test <laughs> okay. to see how terrible this sounds. Because I actually think it's going to be yeah. not terribly obtrusive. And if it's not terribly obtrusive, it'll be good to know that now. And <laughs> so not, that when winter comes. Yeah, it, when, <laughs> we're trying to do this on some really cold-ass day. And we're yeah. like, oh, should we do it or not? Okay, let's just like okay. keep the trigger Let pulled. it ride. Let it ride, okay. one might say. Now, your punishment for derailing me Sorry. there is to get me back on. Because I have Ives. no idea what we were talking about. Charles, Charles Ives. Ives. Yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. See, I'm right there. Um, story of this just just kind of blue-blooded you know um upper class early northeastern american gentleman of the 19th century who was a very very successful and um influential apparently uh, like wrote important books about the insurance industry um and made himself a ton of bank but loved composing music but not not just composing music, but like composing super freaking weird music. Where he you know he one day re remembering his child and growing up in Danbury, Connecticut, he remembered when there was a band that was rehearsing on one end of a hill, and then there was a band rehearsing on the other end of a hill. Two different bands rehearsing on the same afternoon, and they were marching back and forth. And Charles remembers being a boy standing in, in the middle of the hill, hearing these two bands playing different music at different tempos phasing by him as they move at different rates causing a slight doppler effect and stuff with to it to the young boy's ears right mm -hmm. and thinking like how wow i guess i could really write a piece for orchestra that would recreate that effect is charles <laughs> ives in the public domain can you play something like oh, insert God. a clip i could but i don't want to edit <laughs> 
I don't want to. Don't make me edit, Lauren. This is supposed to be <laughs> easy for me. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't make well, me edit, woman. You get get on the device you're probably listening to this on, and go to the Google. Yeah, and just put in Charles Ives, kooky early American goof goofball, who wrote a lot of really weird music, and a and a lot of the stuff that even the stuff that's super weird is really beautiful. Probably the most beautiful thing that people would be accessible to almost anyone is a piece called "The Unanswered Question." which is very sad and beautiful and weird, but short and accessible. And that would be a great place to start. Um, related to that, mm. what albums or songs have you been listening to and enjoying lately? Wow. Um, sorry, I have to drink my drink so that I can uh, mask my extreme exhaustion and it heightened emotional vulnerability as joie de vivre. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> is that too, too dark? That's real, too dark? That's real dark. <laughs> that too, uh, right, Lauren says too dark. You know what's also too dark is like, it's like this, the lighting setup that we started with was perfect when we started. Oh, but now yeah, the sun the... is going down. So this is fine. I mean, it's going to look like total Halloween lighting here. <laughs> but you know what? It's a podcast, people. So we got our thumbnail. That's all we need. We like got I'm a... wearing a black okay. turtleneck and I got a spotlight on me. I look like I'm doing like German avant-garde theater. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. This was a, a bad choice calendrically on my part. Well, let's um, keep it going. Let's, let's keep it going. Because we got to put the kids to bed after yeah, this. We, sorry, was there a question? What albums have you been listening to and enjoying lately? Lately, um, because I have been in a need for a kind of comfort, um, and also because I was just driving around the hills of uh, central Pennsylvania, where I grew up, um, I have been uh, consuming this great piece of comfort food to me musically, which is an album um, called, uh, that actually, uh, the title itself is a culinary one. It comes from a diner. Um, and the, the album title is Automatic for the People by yeah. a band called R.E.M. Uh, Probably uh, never heard of them. Yeah, you never... <laughs> it's a little, it's a little, they're a little, they're upstart. Little, little upstart, upstart band. <laughs> little town called Athens, Georgia. Um, you might have heard of them. R.E.M., Automatic for the People... Yeah, probably. The, I, I would imagine that's got to be their biggest hit album in terms of sales, right? Maybe Monster was bigger. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but up there, right? So if you're aware of REM at all, you're probably aware of Automatic for the People if you're aware of anything. So that's why it's maybe not like a deep cut. Um, but for me, that's an album that um, you know I was exposed to because I thankfully am a am a millennial with a Gen Xer brother. Um, and you're, so, I mean, you're an elder geriatric an millennial. An elder <laughs> geriatric millennial with a Gen Xer brother mm. who helped me get exposed to the good music, mm. which is the Gen Xer music. I f mm. fully commit to the notion that Gen Xers had the best music, full stop. Okay. Wow. Um, and we can well that we could go deep on that another day, madam. Okay. Um, so. Um, so I was exposed to REM, earlier REM, cooler, you know, cooler, cool, co more college-y REM. Before they were famous. You know, yeah, <laughs> art school era REM through my brother when I was very young, right? Mm -hmm. Through basically raiding my brother's CD case, which was a big, like, it was, oh God, I haven't thought about this in a long time. It was an aluminum, an aluminum case you know those kind of like semi-novelty decorative cases mm -hmm. that you know candy comes in that's made yeah. of, that are made of aluminum. What do you call those? Tins. Yeah. Tins, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's like a commemorative popcorn tin, or that what's the caramel corn? The like commercial caramel corn brand. Garrett's. 
That's, so, no, that's the Chicago. I, one. I don't know, one of those, right? Yeah. Um, and it was like a commemorative bin of that that my guess is had been a, a gift that he had gotten from my he parents. He kept his CDs in a popcorn tin. I think it was something that like he got when we were younger. Not kids. one of those. Like, f- is it raining? No. No, that's that's wind, which oh. would su- which would suggest rain. Okay. So but it no, could get loud in here. But we're gonna call it ambience, okay? okay? Not one of those like the 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 flip cases. Where flip you, cases. I'm sure. Have... I'm sure. Once he started driving, he had a flip case. Oh, okay. But he started off put keeping his cool ass CDs in this like relic of his childhood, which was this like caramel corn tin. Anyway, here comes the rain. It's ambience. It's nice. We're going with All it. All right. Okay. Um, so um, I would raid that, and I would listen to these cool as shit. You know, <laughs> college albums of early REM, which were great, but you can't deny that Automatic for, their, for the People is both their commercial and artistic peak. It's them firing on all cylinders. Everything came together and they made their definitive statement. Mm-hmm. They were firing at absolutely at their peak of their powers. And it's such a it's such a beautiful record in terms of its songwriting, its arranging, its recording, the sound of it, the engineering, the analogness of it, um, the not comp- compressedness of it, <laughs> right? The openness and, and um, the, the kind of open space that it has because it's not compressed into toothpaste to have be you, as loud as as music needs to be nowadays. Have you done um, a podcast like manifesto? anti-compression yeah we we could i've done things like that but i could do another thing like that another time uh mental note on that so what have you um we were picking it up with you know it just sounds wonderful and it's something that was ubiquitous at a very important time in my life like being a teenager um um, a very vulnerable and meaningful time of life and listening to that all the time um to the point where when I was driving away to college, my first college, which was the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York, that disaster, um, it's not a disaster of a school. I was a disaster there. Let's, let's make sure that they don't get any blame for that. Um, you know, to the point where when I was driving up those mountain interstates to get to school and I needed comfort then, something that was nostalgic and familiar, I listened to Automatic for the People, right? Mm. So it was nostalgic to me when I was 18, which means, like, imagine how nostalgic it is to me now. You <laughs> yeah. follow, right? Uh-huh. So to me, it's just this, oh, luxuriant comfort food. Uh, and I will love it forever. Automatic for the People. Um with my favorite song from the album being um, a deeper cut uh, called Sweetness Follows, if you know that oh, one. Yeah. You play, you, yeah, we listened to that in the car recently. Mm-hmm. Love that song. And, you know, I love the sort of like partnership that you and I have that like you're like right there, freaking Johnny <laughs> on the spot with these questions. And like you're like looking at the pacing, you're thinking about the rain. I know what you're, you're doing. You're thinking here. about the light. <laughs> what am I doing? You don't know what I'm doing. I know what you're doing. Here. Come on, come on. <laughs> Tell, show the people how how close our minds are linked. You're doing a sponsor proving, transition. I'm doing a sponsor transition. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Oh man, I was like, oh, he's singing so sweet. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Fold again. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm not a dewy young thing anymore. 
You can't get that by me, sir. All right, don't lose the transition. Don't lose the transition. <laughs> <laughs> Let's clear my throat before I do this for reals. Oh, dear. My wife is the greatest partner I could ever ask for, both in life and in business. If you're looking for a partner, uh, I can't promise that you'll do as well with Indeed as I did with Lauren, but if you're looking for a great employee, I can promise you'll do no better finding that employee than with Indeed, sponsor of this episode of the podcast program. Bless it. Bless it. <laughs> did I do it? I did it. Did it. <laughs> Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And it's the place where job seekers are seeking. It's the number one source of hires in the United mm. States, according to Talent Nest, which also reported that Indeed delivered four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Comscore reports that 81% of U.S. job seekers are searching Indeed every month. So, Indeed is where you need to be, and it's the only place you need to be. You need not bounce around a million job boards. And what's better, Indeed offers a streamlined system for matching and actually landing the candidates. With Indeed Instant Match, more than 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor the job, according to Indeed's U.S. data. Once you've got a match, you can reach out to the candidates through Indeed, you can do virtual interviews or assessments, the whole shebang. Even better, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. Well done. All right. When Adam says, I use this because it's what I had in the fridge, is that actually true? Usually, yeah. Because um, I would say that the reason that I would say that is, I mean, on, on one sense, it's like a truism, right? Because it's mm -hmm. like, well... If it wasn't in my fridge, I would not be using it because that would indicate that I did not have it, right? Right, but like, what you mean is you didn't go out special and buy something to specifically use it for this recipe. Right, exactly. It's a thing that was already hanging around, yeah. either from some other work-related excursion or from us actually, like, feeding ourselves and eating, yeah. right? So, um, the... And I would, I would, the, uh, the other reason why I would say that is that I was trying to illustrate that it's not important that you, or it's not crucial that you have something like this, right? The reason I'm using this is because it's a thing that is, is potentially suitable and I had it, but it could also have been just as easily this or this or that. And in fact, other things might've even been better, but we're using this because I have it and it's good enough. So yeah, usually that would I would say that because it was both relevant and true. Yeah. It basically means you should go in your fridge and see what you have and use that thing. Sure, yeah, Don't exactly. just go buy this thing that I'm using because I used it. Yeah, in the sense that... Which I, is what I always do when I cook <laughs> from recipes, as we have established. Yeah, but... Well, you, you, and I, you always convince me to use the thing that we have. And you've gotten awfully good at it, I have to say, okay? With your pastas especially, okay? Oh, thank you. And we should sort of do a whole thing about Lauren's pastas <laughs> at some point. Um, but, yeah, no, so in, this, in the sense that I think, oh, God, this is, 
I, I hate sweeping statements like this that are just all too tidy. But for the purposes of an infotainment such as this program, I will say that I think it's generally true that really good education doesn't teach you facts so much as it teaches you patterns of thought, like ways of thinking about stuff, mm-hmm. um, how, ways of getting there, how to negotiate the corners. So you're trying right? to teach people how to combine things to make yeah. food, not use these specific yeah, things to make not food. necessarily like even make <clears throat> what I'm making, mm-hmm. but like here's the thought process that I followed to get from stuff that's in my fridge to this thing that like looks good enough to be in a sexy thumbnail that lots of people click on mm-hmm. in YouTube, you know, and we all know that's really the measure of success of a <laughs> recipe. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Okay. I, how can I save money cooking? I feel like I genuinely spend more cooking than eating out. I feel like the answer to this oh, question God, is related. related. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Cause I feel like, I don't know if we even answered the previous question. So you like did. maybe we can kind of accidentally also no, you answer did. it now. Okay. We did. Yeah. Well, you're good. Thanks. Good. <laughs> this rain is like, it might be super annoying to some people, but right now it I'm, feels I'm lo- finding it, it like pleasant and evocative. It's very soothing. Hell yeah. I love it. I love. Can I just say? Yes. I f- nobody tunes in to hear what I have to say, but. Do you I you have an- a following. There's a cadre. <laughs> I want to There's answer a this- subset. I want to answer this question because I felt the same way when I first started trying to cook and it was because I would be like, tonight I want to cook this and then I would go to the grocery store and I would buy all the things to make that. First of all, you, no, need, to, no, no. you need to start by shopping in your pantry and be like, I have th- these things to use up. Boom. What can I get to go with it? Boom. Once you've mastered that, then you start shopping to cook on the cheap which is and one of our friends from uh bacon who owns a catering company and a restaurant grow sarah sarah lynn she posts on her facebook all the time because she's always trying to cook really cheap so she'll go to the grocery store and be like oh this meat was on manager special because it's like about to go out but you're cooking it tonight so it doesn't matter you buy that and then you find other things that are cheap on sale Uh You buy those and you figure out a way to combine them. You have oh, to yeah. like let go of cooking from recipes and yeah. s- and you do what Adam said, which is like, what do I have? How can I combine that to make it good? And that's how you save money. Or if you're really cooking from a recipe, you do it knowing that this is this is something that isn't necessarily going to save you money at all, but it's a practice run mm-hmm. that's going to get you started, yeah. right? Or it's if an investment in your ability yeah. to cook stuff in the future. Or you're buying buying the things and you're going to cook a huge portion of it that you can freeze and eat off of for a while. Oh, absolutely. Or, you know. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's fine. All of that is fine. But yes, I think I, I would underline, underscore, mm-hmm. ditto, ditto everything <laughs> you said. Um, where cooking gets really efficient is A, with economies of scale, mm-hmm. okay? Get rid of this notion that you should have a different gourmet thing for every meal of every day. Oh, mm. dear God, no. <laughs> Make big pots of beans. Dear God, most of your meals should be big pots of like vegetable super beans. Mm-hmm. I really feel that's like my one message for my fellow first world occupants and for people for whom that's hard I sympathize because I am a person who's like I don't feel like eating that tonight (laughs) but if you get used to it yeah if you want to save money you kind of have to cook the thing and then commit to eating it (laughs) so do that so go for economies of scale 
And then also, yes, shop in your pantry. Mm -hmm. Get creative. Look at what you already have. Mm -hmm. Look at what's free outside. I'm on this big foraging jag lately, you know. <laughs> Um, and build ideas for recipes around what you have. So I think the best way to use like cooking content um, is, you know, a, as if you're just using it for comfort, hey, God bless you. I have no problem with that. Go for it. Um, but also uh, another really legitimate use of cooking content is just to get ideas for how you could kind of look at things and, 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 and turn them into food in your mind. And that's once you develop a minimal ability to do that with success and to adjust your expectations so that what you get at the end might not necessarily be exactly the thing that you had in mind, but it's still pretty good. And it doesn't even need to be that good. It just needs to keep you alive. And like, just keep going like that for a while. And man, I think and you'll, you'll stumble you'll upon you, a recipe that you've developed yourself. They'll be like, rad. Yeah, I'm gonna start making that all the time. Hell's yeah! Yeah, so many things that I have done in my life because I was like lazy, and I was like, oh, it, it was just something that I did because I had the lowest expectations for my own experience. At that my, moment. my new veggie wrap is that I make for myself. Dude, tell the people about that. <laughs> That's a good example. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just I. I get Havarti, whatever cheese you like. Um, I like smear hummus on a whole wheat tortilla. Yeah. And put cheese down and then cucumber slices and chopped up sweet peppers and roll it all up and eat it. And it is so delicious. It's very cheap. And you can eat, I mean, however many are in the the package of tortillas, you can, with just buying all that stuff one time yeah it's a whole meal it's delicious and very like a lot of crunch yeah it's very and crispy and fresh i love that you have opened yourself up to the belt to sweet peppers yes um over the course of our relationship that's not something that, i used to think i didn't like them yeah but i do but you've opened yourself up to like the raw sweet pepper and now i put them on everything oh they're so delicious they're really good on a breakfast burrito because not only are they like yeah. a great source of like flavor mm -hmm. but also texture because mm -hmm. they're not and not just crunch, but also juice. Yeah. Like they're just such the perfect sandwich vegetable. And that wrap is really good. Like the only part that's a problem about it from like a process standpoint is that it, you, you use those um, whole wheat tortillas. Yeah. And they're hard to pull apart. They're hard to pull apart because they're much more hygroscopic. Yeah. Meaning that they, they absorb lots more like water out of their environment. And so they get sticky. Yeah. And I really want to do like a thing to find out if like the added wheat germ and bran that you get by choosing a whole wheat tortilla is really like a meaningful difference in your diet or, or if you're just they are making, lower calorie than a flour tortilla I'm sure they would be as more of the more of the bulk of it is undigestible yeah. fiber but I is that, like how is a is whether it's a is significant it more, is am it I worth burning, it <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly I am burning more calories pulling them apart too and I don't so. know and that's the kind of thing yeah. that like people who come to the Adam Ragusea family of media products expect that when I bring up like a really You'll go potentially inflammatory question like that, that I would come only come with it with like a bunch of like really well grounded research, which I don't have right now. I'm just speculating because right. that's the kind of programming we're doing today. Okay. Next question. I'm asking this question because I had an answer to it and I want to see if you'll have the same answer. What's the weirdest restaurant experience you've ever had? Dude, I have one. It, I could it be the same one? 
Were we together? Okay, yes, we were together. I think right, it, I, 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 I think was it in Boston? No. No? This was in Macon. And I won't name the restaurant because it's very oh, small. Oh, God, that one. Now oh, you remember? Jesus. All right. That was the worst meal on so many levels. Okay. All right, all right. <laughs> I think we have to do it. You've committed us. Okay, so... But do it in such a way that there's no chance anyone could ever figure out what it was. Right. Okay? We went to this restaurant in Macon. Yeah. That everyone told us to go to. Kind of legendary, yeah. And the food was not good. Just not good. I don't understand it. But on top of that, the restaurant was very small. It was a very small space. Mm -hmm. And so we were sitting in this room. Could have been very charming. Yes. Uh, not. With the right, um, <laughs> with the right atmosphere. We had the the wrong atmosphere. The wrong atmosphere so that night. Imagine you're sitting in a small room with like at a table, and there's like other couples at other tables. But it's small, and it's so deadly quiet that you can hear everything. Yeah. Including the fact that in a table in the corner, a man and a woman were having the most reprehensible evening of their lives because he seemed like a full jackass. And he was so mean to her to the point where, pe- like, the, everyone in the restaurant was kind of like trading. I like, should we do? Should we yeah, offer should we her like, assistance? Yeah, should we call the police? Like, what is? Like, he was just dressing her down. He was such talking a fucking about wherever how? this man is. I hope he steps on a Lego every day for his whole. It life. It was honestly to the point where it's kind of like, oh, you have some kind of pathology. Like, you're there's something is broken in your brain, and you're on some kind of a loop where all you can do is criticize. But your it wife. was like deathly silent in this restaurant, yeah. and. So and Adam and I are like looking at each other, trying to eat this food that is so bad. It was so, it I don't was even like, remember what it was, it was, but it was no, no, so It was bad. this like quote unquote tempura um, oh. that was like, okay, that was like so crunchy that it was like painful. And I remember being poked in the mouth as this experience unfolded. It was like torture, listen, listening to this couple, trading awkward eye contact with other people. I think the waitstaff was really weird. Anyway, we never went there again, but forever after, because we lived in Macon for like nine years, and people would be like, have you been to blah, blah, blah? And we'd be like, "Uh, please don't make me go back there. Yeah, I know. It was... (laughs) The scene of the crime. That was a real root canal of a dinner. What is the Boston one? Now I I don't... I'm... I'm, Okay, I mean, that was a good one. I mean, I'm not surprised... (laughs) Or a bad one. No, no, no. I'm not surprised that your mind went to that. That was like a... You know, my mind should ought to have gone there. Yeah. But where my mind went was... um, So we had this like rumspringa period of our married life where we lived in Boston for uh, four years uh-huh. and we both had you know re- really pretty high paying urban jobs and no you know, and no children <laughs> and and we you know and we liked our jobs we had like yeah. high paying fun jobs yeah and we were cool young hotter people <laughs> you know speak for yourself uh, oh, oh dude you are look look at look at how this woman is aging over there my oh, god Lord. I'm the one who's hiding behind his fish that you can't see them anymore. Oh, please. Now that the sun has fallen. Anyways. Tell me about um, this meal. So, I think I might. Re- I okay, think so I might we, you know, we were just, just, we were just starting to realize how much money we had uh-huh. that we, and that we could really relax and, and have fun and go yeah. out and have nice dinners. And so early on in the, in the realization of that process, we went to this fancy French place that was close to where we lived. Um, right off of Boston Common. It was this fancy French place. Um, and we went there, and it was really very stuffy. 
um, mm-hmm. in terms of like how they treated us and the ambiance and stuff, which I was fine with because I was I wanted like oh classic French, you know, experience. And I remember I ordered cassoulet and. Um, <gasps> Oh, do you know, remember where I'm going? Now okay. I remember. I forget what you got, but I ordered cassoulet, and it was, oh, it was like winter, and oh, gosh, it was so warm and wonderful, but... I got Coco Van. Uh, you got Coco Van. I remember yeah, that's, that, There yeah. you go. Okay. Perfect winter meal, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, and nothing special or like, you know, new twist on these dishes in the slightest, you know... Why do I not remember this meal being super weird good. at all? So anyway, so, but it was really good, and it was delicious and expensive, but like almost worth it. Yeah. But the problem was that there was this like um, fire uh, light, you know, fire, uh, yeah, fire. Oh, what do you call it? Oh, a fire, fire truck. truck, fire truck light. Yeah. And a it was fire parked truck out light. front of the restaurant. Fire truck and part of the parked in front of the restaurant, and the light was on. No, no f- siren flashing, yeah. but the light was flashing. I think there was like a fire was, yeah. alarm, but not yeah. a fire. Something, right? Yeah. Something not emergency. Yeah. Right. So no, and it we was were there. not mad at anyone yeah. who was having a bad exactly. day. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So whatever it was, it was not, not an emergency. It may have been an emergency at one point, but it was not anymore. But that yeah. truck was there with its light on. And it was really, really disruptive and to we the meal. And we were sitting in the window. And we were too. sitting in the window. And it was really bothering. It, it was, was like being of, at a rave. Yeah, it was because <laughs> it's a very dark room, classic, was, you know, yes. stuffy French like you American restaurant. Barely right? see your plate. <laughs> barely see your plate. It's so dark. <laughs> And cozy, but this freaking like light is like a strobe light, and it felt like a rave, and like I felt like I was gonna pass out, and and I was like my patience was getting a little bit tested because I knew if it really was an emergency, there would be a siren by yeah. now, or there'd be another alarm, like another truck would yeah. come or something, yeah. right? Because there were the firemen were just standing. They around. were just the firemen were just standing around. Yeah. Okay, clearly that. it was yeah. had been addressed. Okay, and so to cap off the experience, a couple of these Boston fired douches. <laughs> Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I call a spade a spade here on the Ragusea program. Oh, okay. Oh, dear. The, the, that's what my morning zoo listeners expect. Okay. That I don't sugarcoat my opinions. <laughs> All right. Let's um, go. Is, um, but anyways, yeah, they were just kind of these like Boston fire douches and they came in. Uh, in all of their gear, yeah. you know, really kind of like dusting up the joint. And <laughs> I walked over to a booth that was right next to ours where there were a bunch of like women in really nice dresses. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And they flirted and with they them said, They said, uh, and I quote, <laughs> I'll never forget this as long as I live. Sorry, we got a call. There were some very hot women here. remember that that's one of my favorite stories i vaguely remember them flirting with the women but i don't remember that they we said got a that. call there were some very hot women here dear fuck those I, guys i thought you were fuck gonna those talk guys. about the time we went to that um that hipster folk place mm. in in a uh, southie or not southeast in the south end and you mm. the there was um, sriracha on the table, and you went to pour the sriracha in, but the person oh. before you had loosened, had taken the cap off and not put it all the way back on, so the, sri- the cap pops off into your soup and then pours <laughs> like, sriracha into Probably like, half the bottle of sriracha just pours it out. It was yeah. so much, and you, your face went white, and then you were like... <laughs> Because you're you, you went, well, gotta eat it. <laughs> and then you just started eating it. And you had, like, your face turned red and there were tears pouring. Because it was 
awful. And then the waitress came over and was like, do you want me to bring you another one? And because you're you, you went, nope, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. And I was like, Adam, get another one. And I think you did Nevo again for years. <laughs> Because you were so scarred. I can suffer through this. I could suffer through this. I was like, it wasn't even your fault. <laughs> I know, but like my white man shame was too strong. Yeah, I know you were I like, can't I, 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 say I, I, it's too I'll, spicy. It's okay. I'll I can't it. ever say it's too spicy. It like it was spicy, but also it was just like no one wants to eat half a bottle of sriracha that just tastes bad. <laughs> But you did it. Oh. I think you were crying by the end. Oh, and then I, I was like, let's just let's just pay and go. Okay. Yeah, that was a bunt. But I, I have to we have to like remember most of our like meals during this rumspring of our <laughs> of our pre children yeah. Mary life were absolutely delightful and we had a blast. Oh and, my god, yeah. Ten remember ten tables? Ten tables in Jamaica Plain. Oh, oh loved that place. What a place. And Sportello. We Sportello. went there all the time. Oh, loved although I, I don't know what's going on with her empire, but eh, whatever. Yeah. Um that was a good place, Sportello. That place was good. Remember when we went you took me to number nine park for my birthday? Number nine park and for I your ate, birthday. And I ate sweetbreads and I was yeah. like, oh they taste like the inside of a chicken nugget. <laughs> um, That's what everybody always says. My recollection of, of Eating at Number Nine Park yeah. was um, I I was like cutting through something on a plate that had some sauce in the plate, and so when I was cutting, I accidentally oh. splashed a little sauce onto me. Yes. Right, and <laughs> this like this waitress who must have been our age, yeah, maybe even older than us, yeah. right? And I'm like. I'm still at this age where, like, the notion that anyone else would treat me as as being <laughs> anything important, anything important, or anything other than subservient we is felt really like weird. Kids playing at being grownups in these restaurants. Well said. <laughs> and so this, like, you know, very well. I mean, I just felt like a total fake. I've, like, yeah. dress shirts have never fit me. I have a weird body. <laughs> dress shirts have always just like rumpled on it's me great. in weird ways. I looked terrible. No, you didn't. Even when I looked pretty good, I looked terrible. Anyways, but so, they came over and fixed it. Like, cleaned you. <laughs> yeah, so anyways, like, like this young woman who looked really together. Well, because all the sweet like, staff at those places are like professional. Professional. And like this yeah. person who's just like, uh huh, yeah, I'm a waitress. I make more money than the lawyer that, you know, <laughs> eats here, right? She had that kind of vibe. And anyway, so I splashed some sauce on myself and she came over with like some soda water mm-hmm. in and this like clean, beautiful glass container. And a clean, and a like, clean white linen napkin. Linen napkin. Yeah. And she said, I saw we had a little splash. <laughs> And I was like, ooh, we did have a little splash. Wow. Okay, we have five minutes. Okay. Let's do one more. I've got two quick fires. Oh, two quick fires? Hit me. Wait, maybe just one. Okay. Yeah, just one. Favorite Star Trek episode, and then I have one more question. Oh, okay. Uh, Darmok and Gillard at Tanagra. Is that the Um, one with the Borg? No. Oh. That's That's th- just I know from the song. No, that's the one. I don't even actually know if that's what the episode is called. I think the episode might actually just be called Darmok. Okay. Um, but if you just put Star Trek and Darmok, uh-huh. any any spelling of those sounds, you're going to get this episode, but it's this legendary episode of Star Trek the Next Generation where um uh, they encounter a race of people who they're able to understand. They have this storytelling convenience in the Star Trek universe where they have this thing called the Universal Translator mm-hmm. that does exactly what it sounds like, right. right? This delightful little storytelling convenience. But what this th- this episode raised is the possibility that maybe 
you add the universal translator works, we know what the other guy is saying, but like we don't get the words that they're saying. Like just mm. their their basic way of communicating is super different from ours. Mm. And that's what's going on here. And it's um uh, so it's this basically it's this race that communicates through thir- purely through metaphor by citing example from cultural lore. So they'll say like Darmok and Jalard at Tanagra, which is a story from their ancient lore, and they're saying this is a situation like that. Therefore, hand me that torque wrench or whatever. Right? I love this because. The question was nerdy, and the answer is nerdier. I know. Oh, I'm not even done yet, sister. <laughs> oh, dear, oh dear. I'm not even done yet, sister. <laughs> well, you got to leave time for, I will. for my last question. Okay, I will. I, will. I, I bet I can get there. I can get there. <laughs> so anyways, um, so it's this absolutely delightful episode that was written by Joe Minoski, who is kind of the most interesting of the uh, Star Trek writers, because prior to being a Star Trek writer, what was his job? He was one of the first science editors for NPR. Um, one of the early young bucks wow. who did that thing and quit to go to Hollywood and got jobs writing. Wow, and he wrote, had the best career. I know, and I tried. Back when I, my one of my jobs was that I reported for a public broadcasting trade publication. My like big goal was try to parlay this into an interview with Joe Manoski. Try to parlay this into an interview with Joe Manoski. To the point where like I had narrowed down two potential addresses for where Joe Manoski might live in the United States. Oh dear. And one of them was like, one of the, my potentials was this place in Phoenix. And I was at this public broadcasting conference in phoenix i legit took public transportation in phoenix which is difficult enough on its own right to this man's house to see if that was joe minoski who wrote the star trek episode that i love and i don't know because nobody answered and that's the end of that story i never was able to interview joe minoski but anyways so it's this wonderful it's this wonderful bit of sci-fi and i once got into this apparently kind of like legendary twitter back when it was twitter sort of argument with someone uh, about whether or not it was realistic and whether or not a civilization could really have a grammar that was based purely around reference and metaphor. Um, and basically my argument was, of course you could, even if you didn't know what the metaphors meant, it doesn't matter. We use metaphors all the time or we have like no idea what they mean that's or where they're from. That's all TikTok speak Yeah, exactly. Point. It's all references. You don't know what it's referencing to know yeah. how to use it. You know, wow, exactly. So it's sort of this kind of like it was this thing that back when, remember, was it Storify, a a way that you could preserve Twitter threads? There was kind of like a very popular Storify that I had from early in my social media days Mm -hmm. where I had a great debate about whether this, whether or not this episode was realistic. And this is one of my favorites. So yeah, Darmok from Next Generation, 100%. We have one minute. Can we do it? Do it. What does Adam think of the Taylor Travis romance? Oh, I'm so. Someone else asked. I am so happy for them <laughs> I, I think it's great I think as as many have observed it's nice that she gets a, a man a, a bigger a bigger size model seems like might suit her at this stage in her she development she is tall girl she and gets he, large boy he, she gets large boy and that seems like a promising start and a great place to start and also where they, where you they, never want to hear about up, it from me again where they end up is, is their business and yes I never want to hear about it again <laughs> Thank you all for listening and tolerating this more off-the-cuff style of programming. There may be more of it for the time being. That's okay. I've still got mine here, and I'm wrapping (laughs) up the show, and I'm going to say make good choices, and I'll talk to you next time. (laughs) Bye-bye.